Hi everybody. For those of you who don't know me, as Dave said, I'm Leanne. I'm mom to this little cutie over here. <laughs> who most of you probably do know. Thanks for your patience with him when he's always running up and down here. And I've got two kids downstairs and this is my husband, Rhea. And I'm really excited to be here today. I was really excited when I got this topic because my last topic was very dry. <laughs> and this one, <coughs> sorry, was, um, was like so much information that I had to be very precise and, and I'm not going to overwhelm you. We'll be done in 20 minutes for those of you who have lunches to get to. Um, so we're in the middle of the series, as Dave said, called Countdown to the Cross. And last week we heard about the Last Supper. Next week, Dave's talking about the crucifixion, and today I'm talking about Gethsemane, and I'll be reading from Mark chapter 14. And for me, the heart of this part of the story is Jesus as a courageous, I speak louder. (laughs) Okay, is that right? Okay, good, good. Um, So for me, the heart of this part of the story is we see Jesus' humanity as he faces suffering and and his courage. And I'm going to get back to that in a moment. So we'll start with Mark 14. Jesus said to them, this is after the Last Supper where he's washed the disciples' feet and now he goes, he's about to go to the Mount of Olives to pray. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away from me and desert me. This will fulfill the prophecy of the scripture that says, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter. But after I'm risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Then Peter spoke up and said, Even if the rest lose their faith, I will never leave you. I will always be beside you. Jesus said, Mark my words, Peter, before, even this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny that you know me three times. But Peter was insistent and replied emphatically, I will absolutely not, under no circumstances, even if I have to die for you, and the others all said the same thing. Then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called the oil press, or Gethsemane. He told them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And an intense feeling of great horror plunged his soul into deep sorrow. And he said to them, my heart is overwhelmed with anguish, crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch. He walked a short distance away, and then being overcome with grief, grief, he threw himself face down on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, God would remove this cup of suffering from him. He said, Father, all things are possible in you. Please remove this cup of suffering, but not what I want that's important, or I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. I'm going to pause there in Mark. We'll get back to Mark in a minute. Um, This is the first of three prayers that Jesus prays in the garden. There's two more coming, which are very similar. And we get increasing glimpses, even up to this point, in the week before this, when Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified, of his humanity, of his emotions coming to the surface. And we see him, he curses a fig tree um, outside the temple in Jerusalem. He um, weeps outside Lazarus' tomb before he raises him from the dead. And he passionately defends Mary when she pours her perfume on him. The the same perfume that was for his burial. He actually still smells it on the cross. So it's all getting very close. And for me, this is a picture of courageous vulnerability. It's a fully human Jesus expressing fully human emotions in a raw and honest way. So in that week leading up to his torment and his death, he remained close to his community. He remained close to his father. 
So courageous vulnerability, I'll just touch on that for a second. Um, it's a kind of strange term that we throw around. And funny enough, I used to think I was really good at being vulnerable, but it turns out I'm not. <laughs> I'm good at being authentic. And for me, this is the difference. Let's say you are a buck and a sheep approaches you and you, you strike up a friendship and you're getting to know each other and seems trustworthy, talking about all sorts of things. And then the sheep says to you, so show me, show me where's your weak spot. Like if a lion were to pounce on you, where would he go for you? So the authentic buck would say, um, okay. Now he's thinking, what if, what if this is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing? He might take a few steps back, maybe go behind a fence and then say, um, my weak spot's in my neck. Cheers. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what I do. I don't like to expose myself. Where's the, the vulnerable buck? would say, okay, I think I can trust you. Come have a sniff over here. Can you feel the pulse of my carotid artery? <laughs> and that's what we see Jesus doing. Um, that takes a lot of courage. I'm more of a through-the-fence kind of person myself. And I find this concept of Jesus being fully human and fully divine fascinating and mysterious. When I was growing up, I used to think, oh, Jesus is part human and part divine. Uh, he's got these human qualities and these divine qualities. But that's not what the scripture says. It's actually both in one. And for me, it's like one of those 3D puzzles. I don't know if you guys saw them when you were kids. Maybe you still get them. When you like look at it close, and you move it far, and then eventually you see it, and you're like, oh, I saw it, and then you, you can't see it again. It's, it's quite hard to grasp. So in Luke 2, we read how Jesus entered the world as an infant. Um, he didn't enter as an all-knowing God. And we see him through his teens in the temple. We see him start his ministry. We see him... Um, receive God's Holy Spirit at his baptism and we see that he learned the scriptures and put them on his heart when he had to face Satan in the desert for, temp- um, for 40 days of temptation so Jesus like you and I, he followed his calling in faith That, for me I think faith is that, that gap between the evidence and, and knowing and it's filled with trust and it's filled with revelation And here he gives us a full view of that moment when his faith and his calling is actually tested and challenged. And when you observe a person under pressure, you learn a great deal about them. And Jesus invited the disciples into this very hard space. And he addressed God in front of them as his father. And and all of us as, as God's children can do the same thing. And he makes his heartfelt pleas to his father, but he also keeps the father's desires for his life central to his heart. So, in this garden, he's filled with dread and doubt. Isn't there another way, he wonders. And just like the Garden of Eden, you can almost hear a serpent whispering to him, did God really say that you need to hand yourself over to be tortured and crucified? Isn't there another way? And we, alongside the disciples, get to witness his faith, conquering his fear in that moment, when he prays to God, but he sees that God wants him to go through with it and that God will provide him with the strength but won't take it away. Okay, I'm going to pick up again in Mark from verse um, 37. He came back to his three disciples and found them all sound asleep. He awakened Peter, who was also called Simon, and said, Simon, are you asleep? Do you lack the strength to stay awake for me for even one hour? Keep alert and pray that you will be spared from this time of testing. For your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is feeble. Then he left them a second time and went to pray the same thing. Afterwards, he came back to his disciples and found them sound asleep, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. 
and they didn't know what to say to him. And you can imagine that feeling when this is the most um, anguish that they've ever seen Jesus in, and they've fallen asleep again. And he comes back, and they're like, I don't even know what to say. After praying for the third time, he returned to his disciples and woke them and said, Do you plan on sleeping and resting indefinitely? That's enough sleep. The end has come. The hour has arrived for the Son of Man to be handed over to the authority of sinful men. Get up and let's go. Don't you see? Here comes my betrayer. One of the things I love about scripture is the symbolism that is weaved through 40 different authors over more than a thousand years. And for me, that's, that's evidence um, in a real way of, a, of the divine word of God speaking through these people. If you get these symbolisms coming through. And one of them is the garden theme, which is one of my favorite ones. So God wants us to recognize that this isn't the first time that we're seeing a man in a garden wow. faced with a very difficult choice. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were faced between the two trees, the tree of their own knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of, of life, of God's way, surrendering to God's way. And as we know, they chose the tree of their own knowledge of good and evil and suffered the consequences. And here we see Jesus again in a garden, faced with this choice. Will he choose what he thinks is best, or which looks better to his own human eyes, which is not to go and be tortured and crucified, or will he choose to surrender to God's life-giving way? Um... And it's not only Adam and Eve, it's all of us that face this choice. I looked, um, last week, Jesse pointed out that we don't just say yes to God once. We get faced with these choices over and over again. And we get to choose between what we think is best um, or doing things God's way. And that's a constant choice. Like, are you going to author your own story or are you going to surrender to God being the author of your story? Okay, those who are getting worried about their Sunday lunch plans, we are halfway. I'm not going to keep you too long. Um, there's two things I'd like to highlight that we can learn from Jesus' approach to this um, very difficult choice in the garden, um, the choice that we ourselves may face. And the first is that Jesus harnessed his pain to press into God and press into his community. And then the second is that this was part of a life of discipline that led him up to this place of intimacy with the Father. It wasn't just... Oh, now I'm going to use it. He's he's been building towards it. So let's first look at how he engaged in his community briefly. So Jesus was many things, but um, I've never heard him called a loner. He, um, he, um, as being God, he was part of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God. So he was always part of a community. And then when we see him on earth, he's, um, he has his ministry time where he's going around in tentative communities with his 12 disciples and other people, none of whom were perfect. I'm sure it was hard at times. And then even the night before his death, we see him bending down, washing their feet. We read how John was resting on his shoulder. He's very much in his community. And when he faces this really hard time, he takes his community with him. He doesn't draw away. Um, he takes Peter, John, and James when he needs to prepare himself and plead with the Father. And he also asked them to watch and pray for him. And this is a man who knows these people will soon abandon him, but he still presses into his community. So in trials, we also have the opportunity to press into those people that we trust and ask them for support, ask them to pray for us, and let them witness what we're going through. But the thing about Jesus is, even though everyone did desert him, he wasn't left alone, because he says in John of this exact time, he says, a time is coming when you will all be scattered. You will leave me alone. 
yet I am not alone because my Father is with me. So apart from pushing into his community, he also pushed into God in this garden, in this time of, of desperate pain. So he'd received a revelation, an ongoing revelation in his earthly walk, interpreting scripture that he was the Messiah and that he was going to need to suffer in this way. And he, he'd actually approached it and prepared for it. Um, you know, when he comes into Jerusalem, he comes in riding on a donkey, which was very symbolic for the Jews. They would have recognized um, what he that he was coming as their king. And then that would have also created some sort of minor political waves. He didn't have an army, but the Romans would have seen everyone coming, putting out their palm leaves. And then he goes to the temple, and um, he very intentionally overthrows the tables there, and he quotes Jeremiah 7, which they, um, the Jewish leaders would have recognized as saying, the temple is going to be overthrown, you are going to be overthrown. So he's very intentionally um, approaching this time of suffering. But then when he gets to the garden like you and me, he actually is faced with this imminent torture. And that's a very, diff- it's, it's, a, it's a real, for me, a thing of courage. It's one thing, like, to quickly do something courageous, but to actually approach something in this way is just, yeah, it's mind-bending. I tried to think of some examples, and then if I thought of something that happened to someone I know, I actually thought, wow, it's just going to be triggering for someone in this room. <laughs> it's, like, so hard to think of facing something in real time. So... What does he do? He approaches God in the Mount of Olives. Um, He asks him if there's any way, any other way, but he's willing to accept that there isn't. Um, And so after the first two prayers, he still seems to stress, but after the third prayer, he seems different. And when you continue to read Mark, he remains different. He remains poised. He faces his torture. So what happened in that third prayer? And I'm sure you can imagine, like me, a lot of us in this room have experienced the presence of God coming to him and yeah, him just realizing, I trust my father. I trust this is the right way. And all of us are invited as God's children to do that, um, to approach God in a trying time. And if you have, and you've never done that before or you've been disappointed in doing that, approaching God in a difficult time, um, I invite you to give it a try or give it another try. And maybe when you have nowhere else to turn one day, you could approach God with, with your trials, with your deepest emotions. And um, something that happened to me on camp was, uh, so I thought I'd share with you, I realized God saying to me, oh, you've made an agreement that skepticism is better than to be foolish. To be skeptic is to better, better than to be foolish. And you need to break that agreement. That's something that I've had to do in my own life. Well, I'm doing in my own life. And yeah, so I encourage you to take a risk. Risk being a fool to meet, to meet God. Alright, so we've taken time to look at how Jesus drew close to God and his community. And the last thing I want to draw attention to before we close in prayer is how highly disciplined Jesus was in the time in his life leading up to this trial in cultivating intimacy with the Father. So we see it when he's 12, we see it um, he goes to the temple, we see that God's word is written on his heart when he's in the desert, as I mentioned before. And he regularly came to the Mount of Olives to pray, and that's in fact why Judas knew where to find him, because he was in the temples during the day, and in the evening he would be found praying in the garden. Uh, I wish people could say that about me. Um, oh, don't worry, if you're looking for Leanne after supper, you'll find her praying in the garden. <laughs> um, so when he comes to pray in the garden at the time of his greatest test, he actually 
utters phrases which are very similar to what you'll see in the Lord's Prayer. He says, basically, Dad, all things are possible for you, but please remove this cup of suffering. But what I want is not important. I only desire to fulfill your plans for me. So he's saying with great emotion and difficulty, your will be done. So these were in sudden, like 11th hour prayers for Jesus. Um, this was more like a mantra for him. I'm sure like me, you can think of times, like it's a night before a test or an interview, where you're like, hi God. <coughs> it's been a while. Um, I'm back. Um, I know we've got some things to discuss, but right now, can we just have a look at tomorrow? <laughs> Um, but that's not what was happening for Jesus. He wasn't that person who's saying, this year I'm going to be a runner. He buys a pair of running shoes and then two kilometers into the first runner's blisters. This was a very well-worn pair of shoes for Jesus. This is what he did every day. And I'm just going to list three things that would have helped, that helped Jesus cultivate this discipline. Um, and, then, and I think it's because he wasn't naive that he cultivated this discipline. He was aware that evil is at work. And I think a lot of us, including myself, underplay that. We don't want to overplay it, so we underplay it. And he was aware that no one can face these in- temptations on their own, which is also something I need to hear, so I'm always trying to do it on my own. And then lastly, he was convinced of the power of his prayers to change himself and to change his situation and the world. And there's no point in praying if you believe that prayer has no power. Um, <clears throat> in Matthew 17, there's a father who brings his child who's um, suffering with seizures to the disciples and they try to pray for him they've been healing people and casting out demons but it doesn't work so the father approaches Jesus and Jesus immediately heals the child and then afterwards the disciples come to him and say so what was wrong like why couldn't we do it and then Jesus explains him to them this type only comes out with prayer and fasting but then when you look at it, you realize Jesus wasn't fasting during that moment. He wasn't fasting in that time. It was a discipline for him. Prayer, fasting. And we don't need to think necessarily of fasting as food. I mean, we can fast from anything that's taking God's place at the center of our lives. Um, so he was really disciplined. Let's not let our lack of faith be due to a lack of spiritual discipline. I challenge each of us in this room, listening, let's, if you want to, well, if you if you would like to, um, I challenge you to commit to doing one small thing of discipline this week. Don't think something big. Don't become an overnight runner. But um, think something small and realistic and sustainable that you could start. And sometimes I think God is, when he's helping us to walk in prayer, it's like a, a parent trying to help their child ride a bicycle. And prayer is a discipline. We need to sit on the seat of the bike. We need to listen to what our Father tells us. And we need to trust that we will learn if we show up to practice. So my prayer for us this week is for God to bless us with the discipline to present him and trust him and the courage to share with those around us the things that we're going through, those that we trust. So in closing, I just want to, um, in Gethsemane, Jesus quoted Psalm 42, which Vim actually also quoted this morning, um, when he says his soul is overwhelmed. So I'd like to pray my own summary of that psalm over us as a community today. Um, if you'd like to, you can invite God into a place in your heart, or you could maybe imagine yourself being with him in the garden. But um, I invite you to close your eyes as I pray this over us. God, we cry for revival. We long to drink of you, O oh God, to drink deeply from the streams flowing from your presence. Our longings overwhelm us for more of you. Our souls thirst and long for you, living God. We want to come and see the face of God. 
Day and night our tears keep falling and our hearts keep crying for your help. Our enemies mockingly say, where is this God of yours? Why doesn't he help you? So we speak over our heartbroken souls. So then, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God. Here we are depressed and downcast, yet we still remember you as we ponder the place where your glory streams down from the mighty mountaintops, the mountains of your awesome presence. Our deep need calls out to the deep kindness of your love. Your thundering waterfall of weeping sent waves of sorrow over our souls, cascading over us and carrying us away. All through the day, you have commanded your endless love to pour over us. We will say to God, you are my mountain of strength. How could you forget me? Why must I suffer this oppression? These heartless tormentors who are out to kill me. Their wounding words pierce my heart over and over while they say, where is this God of yours? So we say to our souls, don't be discouraged. Don't be disturbed. For I know my God will break through for me. Then we'll have plenty of reasons to praise him all over again. Yes, he is our saving grace. Amen. Amen. The phrase that came to me before the meeting was just the weight of his mercy. And as Leanne was praying that over us, I just felt like the weight of like the mercy of the Father resting on us, aware of our own humanity. So Lord, I pray that as we, as we leave this place, that we go with the, the weight of your mercy resting upon us, the invitation to your presence, not only once a week or on a Wednesday night, but with us. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the realities of our lives. He just comes and he brings his mercy, triumphs over judgment. His kindness leads us to that place of repentance where we change our mind. I just feel like he's, he's just massaging that into our hearts as we sit here. I was really struck when Leanne said she had to break that agreement of, of skepticism with foolishness. Some of us, we need to break agreements with, this is always the way it's going to be. God's never going to break in. Just since he says, no, I've called you my own. I'm sitting here with you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence. We just we just take a moment to be with you. To remind our souls what it is like to be in your presence.
Krishna agenda and I need to take anything off a list just to be with you, the lover of our souls. Some of you need to be reminded of his faithfulness, of the day that he stepped into your life and he turned your life around. And there's just grace upon grace. The one who has compassion over us, that word means to suffer with us. He comes alongside us and he comforts us. same breath that you breathed in the first garden, you breathe again into us when you say receive the Holy Spirit. So we, deep, we breathe deeply of your goodness and your kindness, Father. And if there's anyone here you've never actually had that moment where Jesus stepped into your life and showed you how good he is and that he knows your name, Right now, there's an opportunity for him to come and to say, I've got so, so many good things for you. And what I went through in the garden and what I went through in the cross was to redeem you, to restore you, to bring you to a place of being who I truly created you to be, a new creation, one who's forgiven, set free, loved. thank you for the weight of your mercy that rests upon us this morning. The real sense of your nearness with us, Father. Jesus' name. there's anyone that something really spoke to you that Leanne said and you want to just bring it to God and break an agreement or just receive prayer or ministry please we're going to Lim's going to play for a little bit and we're going to create a space up here for for that um, one last announcement um, uh, I'm going to be joining Dave and Colleen over Easter weekend with their church in the Eastern Cape um, Jesse is also coming with and we're going to be um, ministering to their Easter camp. It's going to be a couple of hundred people from the Eastern Cape. Probably the nicest people in South Africa from the Eastern Cape. And the, the theme of the weekend is the power of good news. And Dave invited us to come up there. And um, I just wanted to extend an invitation. If any, any of you guys are free over Easter, you want to take a, a drive to the Eastern Cape and join us for a long, a long weekend and just be part of ministering to people on that camp, please come speak to me. It's an open invite. It's a literal camp. Bring a tent. Um, the invite's open and we're really trusting God to do incredible things with, um, with, with them. So if you want to join and be part of that team, just come chat to me. It's, um, it's going to be over the Easter weekend. So um, bless you guys and have a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks, man. That was, that was amazing. <laughs>